Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, and whether you call Collective your church home or you are just checking us out, we hope you are encouraged and inspired to take the next step in your journey toward the grace and truth of Jesus. For more information about Collective, you can visit us online at mycollective.church or follow us on social media at mycollectivechurch. Now, let's get into today's message. Good morning, Collective. Today we are in the last week of our sermon series called Intimacy, which has been about developing emotional closeness in an Instagram culture. And I just want to give a shout out to everyone who's been joining us over the past few weeks. We have had hundreds of people in Maryland and Virginia worship with us online. But there have also been people from all over the United States. Last week we had people join us from Florida, Kentucky, North Carolina, Ohio, and Alabama. I also want to give a shout out to the guys in the Change Life Recovery Program at the Frederick Rescue Mission who are joining together with us online this morning as well. We're so thankful that you are with us and that you're doing church online with us. And we hope to see you online next week as we celebrate Easter. So invite a friend to Easter online, make a big breakfast, and celebrate the hope that Jesus' resurrection brought into a lost and broken world as we have Easter online next Sunday, April 12th. A few years ago, I was sitting in my living room late at night when I got this pit in my stomach. I was on Facebook, and a friend of mine posted a picture from high school to commemorate our upcoming 10-year reunion. It was a picture of our lunch table. For four years, a group of about 25 of us sat and ate lunch together every single day. And to be honest, we weren't super close outside of school, but at lunch, we were all friends sharing about life, joking about classes, and talking about the new Hoobastank song. It was 2004, leave me alone. And as I was looking over the picture, I noticed a guy in the background named Matt. And that is when I got a pit in my stomach. I'd known Matt since elementary school. We'd always been in different circles, but when you know someone for 14 years, it's hard to deny friendship. But since graduation, I actually hadn't thought about Matt at all. We weren't Facebook friends or anything like that, but seeing his picture reminded me that the last interaction I had with Matt was us screaming at each other at the same lunch table. Now, I'm not at all proud about this, and I now know that as a high schooler, I had a lot of unknown anger issues from pain and brokenness in my life. But one day we were sitting together and joking, and that turned into fighting, and we never talked again. And 10 years later, this picture reminded me of a destroyed friendship. As I was getting ready for bed that night, I told Ray what was going on. And in between brushing her teeth, she casually said to me, you should reach out and apologize. What? Why? He probably doesn't even remember. I'm sure I just need to sleep on it and press the emotions deep down into my soul until they die. But I woke up the next morning and all I could think about was reaching out. So I did. I wrote and rewrote, and rewrote, and edited, and deleted, and started over, and wrote. And then I found him on Facebook, and I sent him a message. Not even an hour later, I had a response. Michael, it means a lot to me that you would apologize. I don't remember what we fought about that day, but I've always remembered how it felt. I was also super arrogant then, so I'm sure I instigated it in some way, so I'm sorry as well. I hope you're doing all right. Send me an update on your life when you get a chance. As we've been in this series for the past four weeks, we've talked a lot about being a good friend, a lot about how to invest in those friends, how to choose the people that are inside your circles. Last week, we actually talked about removing people from circles that they shouldn't be in. 
But here's the question I want us all to wrestle with today. How do I fix my broken relationships? How do I fix my broken relationships? Because we're not perfect and we hurt people and people hurt us. So what do we do? What do we do when we've been hurt? When someone has been disloyal? When someone said something or did something or didn't do something that created brokenness in our friendships? So here's the foundational truth for today. And this is true for every single person listening right now. You will have relationship problems. Every single one of us. And I don't want you to buy into this false line of thinking that exists in the church today that says, because I love Jesus, all of my relationships will be perfect. Right? Some of us believe that if I love Jesus more, or if they love Jesus more, this wouldn't happen. And that's just not true. Check this out. The Apostle Paul, who wrote one-third of the second half of the Bible called the New Testament, after he became a Christian, he spent the rest of his life traveling around the Roman Empire, planting churches. And a person who is maybe the most important person in Paul's life was a guy named Barnabas. We call him Barney for short, so you can either picture the big purple dinosaur or Barney Stinson from How I Met Your Mother or Barney Rubble, even though anyone under 30 definitely doesn't get that reference. But Barney was the one who brought Paul into his church community. He vouched for him. And Paul and Barney loved Jesus a lot. And at one point, they're about to go on a mission trip to start more churches and in, to encourage other Christians, but they get into what the Bible calls a sharp disagreement, so much so that they couldn't even go on this mission trip together. And Scripture doesn't tell us this story so we think that this is ideal. Scripture tells us this to let us know this happens. So right up front, before we even get into the Bible, I want to free you from a mindset that there won't be any relational friction in your life, that your best friends are your best friends because everything's perfect. No, we sin, we are selfish, we make mistakes. So how do we respond? Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 5. Blessed are the peacemakers. And his word choice is really important here. He doesn't say blessed are the peacekeepers. Right? Just about anybody can keep peace. Mind your own business and you can keep peace. But it's harder to be a peacemaker. That means you enter into a situation where there is not peace and you bring peace. So there's a big difference between a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. And those who follow Jesus are called to bring peace, to be peacemakers. That wherever we go, whatever is going on, we bring peace. So I want to teach you today how to bring peace into your broken friendships. But more specifically, I want to teach you how to reconcile relationships on a personal level, on a one-on-one -on -one level. How do you reconcile a friendship that is broken? Right? You used to be boys. She would come over to every family function. You exchange Christmas presents. You used to hang out, but now it's broken. What do you do? And maybe it was a huge blow up. Maybe it was just a bunch of little things that added up. Maybe it was public so everybody knows about it, or maybe it was just between the two of you. But it was a re relationship that meant something to you, and it's broken. Scripture tells us how to reconcile these friendships. And like pretty much everything when it comes to following Jesus and everything that we've actually talked about in this sermon series, it's simple, it's not easy, but it's worth it. So if you have a relationship that you want to get healthy, that is what we're going to learn about today. And we're going to learn from Jesus. Here's the backstory to what we're reading today. So the Romans had executed Jesus because he claimed to be the son of God. 
And in John 21, which is what we're going to read out of today, Jesus has risen from the grave. By the way, this is why we believe and trust Jesus with our lives, with our faith, with our relationships, with our friendships, because he promised that he would conquer death. And then he did. He rose from the grave. But after it had happened, his apostles, his closest followers, didn't really know if it had actually happened. There'd been some rumors. They'd seen an empty tomb, but they were still kind of piecing all the stories together. And this is where we pick it up in John 21, verse three. It says this, Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out into, in, in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. Now there are two things I want you to notice right off the bat. Before they had begun following Jesus, many of his disciples were career fishermen. So when Jesus was executed, before the apostles had actually seen him and knew that he resurrected from the dead, they went back to their old way of living. They just went right back to the beginning and they became fishermen again. The second thing I want you to notice is that Peter is a professional fisherman. But every time you see him in the Bible fishing, he never catches any fish. The only time he catches anything is when Jesus actually helps him. So left on his own, Peter might be the world's worst fisherman ever. And this is coming from someone who's terrible at fishing, but knows that I could at least catch something if I was out there. The story continues. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Now, this is just a flashback for Peter. Because the day Jesus told Peter to come and follow him, the same exact thing happened. Peter had been fishing all night. He's a crappy fisherman, so he hadn't caught anything. Jesus told him to cast his nets on the other side of the boat, and he caught so many fish that the boat started to sink. And Peter dropped everything and started following Jesus. Then the disciple who, loved, uh, who Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work. Now, it's a very weird detail, but we're just going to go with it. Peter is fishing in his underwear. He puts his clothes on. He jumped into the water and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to shore, for they were only about 100 yards from the shore. And I just love the imagery of Peter because he just ditches his boys and makes them do all the work. It's a pro move. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Now, this detail is interesting. It's in here to remind us that Jesus rose from the grave and he is human. Like when Jesus resurrected from the dead, he wasn't a ghost. He wasn't some spirit thing floating around on earth, spooking people. He was a human. He needed to eat. It shows his humanity. So they eat together. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. So what's going on here? One option is that Jesus is just being really annoying and asking the same question over and over again. Like Jesus is an almost five-year-old and an 18-month-old stuck inside their townhouse during a pandemic kind of annoying. Like I know that isn't just my house right now. 
at least the other day, asked me 12 times in a row if she could have a snack. And each time I said yes, but she kept asking. And then finally she said, are you going to get me a snack? To which I got up, walked upstairs, sat in my closet and started to weep openly. So it could be that Jesus takes after my kids and he's just trying to annoy Peter. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Or there could be something bigger going on. In this series, I talked a few weeks ago about how Jesus had an inner circle, a crew, and Peter is a part of that inner circle. He is one of Jesus's best friends. And last week I shared with you that there were times when Peter wasn't a good friend. Jesus actually yelled at him once, get behind me, Satan, because of how he was acting. Peter liked to talk first and think later. And when Jesus gets arrested, his apostles all take off out of fear that they will also be arrested and eventually executed, except Peter. Peter kind of trails behind Jesus as they take Jesus to put him on trial. And Peter's in the courtyard trying to get as close to Jesus as possible. And while he's sitting there, someone calls him out. Aren't you one of Jesus's followers? But he denies it. And then another person calls him out. I definitely remember seeing you with Jesus, but Peter denies it again. A third time, someone points out Peter and asks, aren't you with Jesus? And for a third time, Peter denies even knowing Jesus. Now, here's what I want you to see in Luke 22. It says this. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So Peter denied knowing Jesus denied following Jesus, denied that Jesus was his friend and Jesus saw it all go down. In my opinion, I believe that this is one of the lowest moments of Jesus's life. And I know that's bold, but just, just hear me out. Jesus is on his way to getting executed in the most brutal form of execution known to man, but it had a purpose. Jesus knew that he had to do that so that he could conquer death and in turn conquer sin. Jesus knew he had to die on a cross so that we could experience freedom. There's purpose in that. So I believe that this is one of Jesus's lowest moments because his best friend, his most vocal supporter is giving up. And Jesus goes on to suffer physical pain, but don't underestimate the emotional pain of your best friend stabbing you in the back and you watching it happen. Remember, Jesus was fully human. He felt disappointment. And I don't think there's anything more crushing than your best friend who you're getting ready to die for saying that he doesn't even know who you are. So when we read John 21, this is after Jesus rose from the dead. And this is Jesus knowing, like watching, seeing that Peter disowned him. And yet Jesus still seeks out Peter and they have a restorative conversation. In fact, if you're reading this story of John 21 on your phone, it probably had a heading that says the restoration of Peter. So Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? One time for every denial. And then this is what it says in verse 19. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Meaning Peter, we're good. And Jesus goes on to tell Peter that Peter will follow him for the rest of his life. Peter goes on to write two books that are in the Bible today. He goes to preach the first sermon in the history of the church. And that's a day when over 3,000 people put their faith in Jesus and were baptized. So Jesus takes his closest follower, arguably the best friend he has on earth, who betrayed him, lied about him, stabbed him in the back, and he restores the relationship. That's so good for Jesus. But here's my question. How do we do that? What do you do when people hurt you? 
What do you do when a relationship is broken? How do you handle the hurt of your ex-wife who you still have to interact with because of your kids? How do you interact with a sibling who totally took advantage of your parents? How do you treat the coworker who got the promotion by talking bad about you? How do you live with a spouse who got you into debt because of a secret addiction? How do you treat the teammate who blew up on you in front of others just because they were having a bad day? How do you interact with a person at church who blasted you on social media and they didn't tag you, but they might as well have? What do you do? I think Jesus showed us. So I wanna translate that story into an equation for you that is blank plus blank equals restoration. And if you know in your gut that you have a relationship, have a friendship that isn't what it's supposed to be like, that once was great, but now is broken, and you hope that God has something better for you in store, I want you to take good notes because God wants to teach you something today. He wants to use you to bring peace. So here's the first blank. The first ingredient to this is remorse. Remorse plus blank equals restoration. Now, remorse simply means a healthy regret or a healthy guilt. If you go back to the story of Peter, after Peter denies Jesus a third time, it says this in Luke 22, and Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. He had remorse. He felt the weight of what he had said and what he had done. When somebody hurts you, is there remorse? And let me be clear. I'm not talking about somebody saying something that, and you took the joke the wrong way. We're talking about deep emotional pain. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. From time to time at Collective, I'll sit down with couples that are having issues in their marriage. Sometimes it's because of an affair. Sometimes it's because of an addiction has led to other brokenness and pain. Sometimes it's just because they can't get along and they fight all the time. And so I'll meet with them. And when I sit down with that couple, I'm looking for one thing and one thing only, remorse. I want to know, does the offending person show remorse? So much so that I can see it. Do they feel the weight of their choices? Do they physically feel sick to the pain that they've caused? Or are they just disappointed that they got caught? Because based on that response, I will know if we, if our leaders in this church, will be able to help them or not. Remorse is essential for a relationship to be restored. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are looking at this formula and you're thinking, they have to show remorse. That means I'm off the hook. But that's not true because Jesus called us to be peacemakers. And here's what this means. Even though they have to show remorse, sometimes you have to be the one to initiate and make the first move, even if they hurt you. Think about the story in John 21. Jesus made the first move. He called out to them while they were fishing. He made breakfast. He started the conversation with Peter. Even bigger than that, he died for Peter right after he heard Peter deny him. Even bigger than that, Jesus initiated a relationship with you before you ever showed that you would do anything to trust him or come to him. So in your relationships, you initiate this process. It is not your job to make them show remorse. And if they choose not to, you know what to do with that. that that's someone that you don't have to be in a relationship with anymore. But scripture does say in Romans 12, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So you initiate peace. The second part of the formula is this, remorse plus reconciliation equals restoration. Reconciliation is when you have a meeting, a conversation, a conference to talk about it. 
Peter needed to have this reconciling conversation with Jesus to hear that they were still on the same team, that Jesus still loved him, that he was still in Jesus's crew. So Peter didn't leave wishing he knew how Jesus felt or hoping he was good with his best friend or wanting to know if he had been forgiven. He knew, he knew. Have you ever had a relationship where you didn't know where you stood? I mean, typically this happens in dating, right? You're hanging out a lot. You're texting all the time. You think she's into you. You're definitely into her, but you don't know where, you're st- where you stand. What do you do? You have a DTR to find the relationship. My freshman year of college, this was me and Ray. We'd been spending a ton of time together. Uh, we were walking to class together. We were texting all day, hanging out in the cafeteria after all of our friends had gone back to their dorms. I was into her. I definitely thought that she was into me. And then one day we're talking about our favorite places to eat. And she mentioned a fast food joint called Zaxby's, which at that time I'd never had before. Now, if you've never had Zaxby's before, you are missing out. Zaxby's is a fast food restaurant in the South that serves chicken and it's better than Chick-fil-A. Jesus, I'm so sorry, but it's just true. It is so much better. And I love Chick-fil-A. I would eat Chick-fil-A once a day if I could. I'd eat Zaxby's twice a day. Zaxby's is better. Wings and things, crinkle fries, Zach sauce, sweet tea. It's a dream come true. People in Florida and Alabama that are watching right now, you know what I'm talking about. And when I told Ray I'd never been before, she said, we have to go. So we jumped in the car and drove to Zaxby's. And while we were sitting there, we realized that this was the first time we had gone out together without our friends. Was it a date? Did she want it to be a date? I was definitely gonna go back and tell my boys that it was a date. And this trip to Zaxby's led to us having a DTR where we realized that we were both digging each other. So we started dating, got married, and lived happily ever after. Now tell me if Chick-fil-A could ever do that. By the way, Zaxby's, if you want to sponsor us, that's great. We're trying to get into a building sometime soon, so we would love that. But if you don't know where you stand in a relationship, in dating, it's frustrating. But when you have conflict, if you don't know where you stand in your friendship, it just means that it's not healthy and you have to start the conversation. So I wanna give you two tips when it comes to reconciliation and encourage you to write this down or take a screenshot. When you pursue reconciliation, listen for their hurt. Hurting people hurt people. So they're gonna present a complaint or talk about an issue. Don't listen for that. Listen for the hurt beneath it. That's why James says in James 1.9, you must all be quick to listen. You have to be willing to absorb their pain. And this is so hard because you're probably thinking that it's not fair. It's not fair because of what she said or what he did or what they didn't do. But Jesus absorbed our pain. Romans 5 says, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. And sometimes we have to ask what's more important for me to be right or for me to keep this friendship. The second tip is to focus on reconciliation and not resolution. Resolution is this idea that everything needs to be resolved that we disagree on. But in order to do that, you have to start rehashing your past. You have to dissect everything that happened. And the truth is that's not really going to help. Our world has taught us that in order for us to have a friendship with someone, that means we have to to rubber stamp their behavior and agree with all of their opinions. And that's unhealthy. And scripture doesn't teach that. You can forgive someone and enter into a relationship with them without agreeing about everything, without dissecting the full past. Focus on the relationship and the disagreement often becomes a small thing. Now look at that equation again. Remorse plus reconciliation equals restoration. 
that's not just how we heal broken friendships. It's how we get connected back to God. When you come to Jesus, you must show remorse. You have a conversation with God that says, I'm broken and I need your help. And when you do that, then you publicly put your faith in him and you get baptized, right? Then you have a relationship with God. So how do you get right with God? Remorse plus reconciliation equals restoration. The reason Jesus died on the cross is for reconciliation. We denied God. We turned our backs on him. We followed our own way instead of his. And because of that, our relationship with God was broken. So Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. He died. And he resurrected from the dead so that we could be reconciled. So that our relationship with God could be restored. So because of that, we seek reconciliation in our own friendships because that is what Jesus did for us. So ask yourself, how can I, as long as it depends on me, live at peace with everyone? How can I have the humility to pursue reconciliation in my broken friendships? Because Jesus didn't say that you're a peacekeeper. He said that you're a peacemaker. So you bring reconciliation and the truth is our world desperately needs a group of people who will say, I am in the reconciliation business. I've been reconciled to God, though I did not deserve any of that. So I'll be in the reconciliation business so that friendships can be restored. Let's pray. God, thank you that, um, thank you, that uh, you sent your son so that we could be reconciled to you. God, that you give us the choice to accept that. You give us the choice to, to show remorse, to repent, to turn away from our sin, to turn away from our brokenness and turn toward you. But God, we're just so thankful that you give us that opportunity. God, that you love us so much that you notice that our relationship with you was broken and something had to be done and we couldn't do it on our own, so you sent your son. God, we're also thankful that as you show us how to be reconciled to you, you sent Jesus to show us how to be reconciled to other people, how to restore other friendships. God, I pray um, for those people who are struggling with the friendships that they have in their life, um, God, that they seek out restoration. God, that, that they initiate a conversation. God, I pray that the people they initiate a conversation with actually show remorse so that they don't have to end a relationship. God, ultimately, I pray that as a church, as a community, we can be in the reconciliation business. God, that our desire is to heal friendships and heal relationships and ultimately move us and other people closer to you. So God, let us be an example. God, let us have courage this week as we pursue that in some of our relationships. God, let us have hope because the truth is some of, of this won't work and, and we will end some friendships and we'll have to move people out of our circles but God, the whole time we know that we're doing what you asked us to do and our hope will remain in you and not other people. And God, ultimately, we're just thankful that you love us enough to seek that out. God, I pray this week that we pursue more reconciliation in our lives, more restoration in our relationships. God, ultimately, I pray that we pursue that when it comes to our relationship with you as well. God, thank you that you love us. God, thank you that you offer that even though we do nothing to deserve it. God, thank you for that grace. God, we love you. And pray these things in your name. Amen.